Thank you for listening to The Digital Backpack. This episode was first published on December 10th of 2015, when the podcast was called My Blend Stories. This is My Blend Stories, and I'm Jeff Gerlach. Ashley O'Connor is an instructional technology and data coach for the Alpena Montmorency Alcana Educational Service District. She also works directly with three districts within that ESD, one of them being Alcana Community Schools. She does a lot of things. She's everywhere. Just think of it this way. She runs Northeast Michigan. Done. <laughs> I first met Ashley this past summer at the Boyne Tech Conference. We were both presenters, and our sessions were back-to-back in the same room. So it was a pretty awesome day of learning. She brings a real practicality to ed tech tool demonstrations. But it goes beyond just herself as an educator. She has a real vision for everyone in that session. And I thought that that was just, it's, it's hard to describe, but it's just awesome when you see it. In this podcast, we talked about her efforts to help teachers establish digital communication channels with parents. But we spent most of our time talking about practical student data collection, how to interpret it, and then use it to personalize learning. This is her story. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Where where are you? What are you in? I, <laughs> I'm in a um a sound booth. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. So How's the day going so far? Day is going well. Um, I spent some time investigating Google Sites today, investigating a little bit of Trig, talking about Trig, and um, trying to find some schools with one-to-one initiatives for Chromebooks specifically. So it's been a good day. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it's pouring down rain here, and it's gross. But other than that... I had to put away all of our deck furniture at the last minute last night because the wind coming through was so intense. Sure. So I don't know if it's windy up there for you. That's the thing. Not a thing is moving outside. Not one thing. Really? And I, yeah, I, t- and I was on a conference call with Illuminate today as well. And she's from like Flint area and she's like, uh, 40 mile per hour winds. We're under this watch. And I'm like, really? It's dead out there for us. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, cool. Um, yeah, so I, there's a bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, it, sure. Since you already brought up that um, the the Google Sites for teachers to create yeah. their their own site, yep. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how that came to be and kind of the purpose behind uh, behind that work and what ultimately you want to see. Yeah, definitely. You want me to start now? Yeah. Cool. Well, a couple things about Google Sites is we are Google App School, much like a lot of Michigan. And we really wanted to use tools that are, tools that are free for us and are free or provided for our district. So about two years ago, um, my former high school principal uh, mentioned that he would like to kind of get another method of communication for parents to have. And, you know, whether that be about you or about your class or uh, any, any links, anything like that, he wanted it to happen. And then he we started doing this in the high school and then now we're transitioning into the elementary 
Uh, now as an instructional technology coach full time, I've had some time to think about it. Um, and a couple concepts that I think are very important. Uh, one is especially student links to support student learning at home. Uh, sometimes we use all these exciting links in schools and we don't necessarily communicate them to parents or how to get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is uh, transparency of what's going on in our classroom or up- upcoming dates. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a young mom. I've, I have a four-year-old and we just started soccer and there's a lot going on in soccer. Sometimes I'm running this way. My husband's taking my one-year-old going this way. <laughs> Sometimes we need a place for streamlining communication or announcements. And I think that that's a good way to do that. Um, but, you know, I was actually just discussing with my teacher, a fellow friend of mine is that I would like to see websites transition into a dynamic learning spot. Um, what I mean by that is basically if we could find a way to take websites and transform them into what is my child learning in that classroom using images and video and captions and presentations, I think that would, especially as like a 32-year-old mom coming up in, in, into technology, would benefit me more than necessarily giving me links uh, to, to things. My mind instantly jumps to, okay, like you could have student, you could use a website as a LMS alternative, right? Right. So are you envisioning just like having student learning take place on those sites and that is the visibility of student learning? Or do you think that there needs to be a translation medium that goes between actual student learning and the reporting of student learning. I would, in my mind, necessarily, I would go with option B because I, you know, um, and I, again, I have a four-year-old who's now full-time preschool. She's already telling me, Hey mom, I didn't learn anything at school today. And it's, you know, it's just the typical, I would like to play Minecraft, leave me alone, mom. I've got things to do. So it would be really cool. Her teacher um, has started using a new app called Blooms to show us pictures of them right learning out, playing outside. And okay. I just find so much more value out of clicking somewhere and seeing what kind of learning is taking place for my daughter. Um, and I think that also as you and I get older in this transition of technology, we are pretty self-sufficient in figuring out where some forms are located online at a website. Um, mm-hmm. I think especially, you know, 30s, 20s, and you know, going as younger, technology demands are going to change. It's kind of the whole method of like emails old, right? And so we've yeah. got to figure out different ways of communicating learning uh, to meet these technological demands of younger generation parents. Younger generation parents, if they're like me, actually prefer everything in one spot kind of thing, yes. being able to absorb everything. And, and if I have a, any further questions to, to reach out, but that kind yeah. of let me sift through the content. It's, it's like a big reason why I like ordering pizza online versus calling. <laughs> um, I, I, right. I, I wanted, I want to have control of the situation, kind of understand all there is to understand. I mean, when, when you're talking about pizza, there's not a lot to understand about whether I want pepperonis or not, but the, the equivalent would be, you know, getting as much information as I can so that I can access that in my own time. And then my, my questioning is probably a little bit more targeted when I, sure. when I talk with a teacher. Going even to pizza, like I like seeing what toppings they have and like taking a minute to process that, you know, I like, I, I would, I want to see if I can have it on half or a quarter or 
what kind of inches or sizes do you have in pizza? And it's the same as, as learning in schools. Um, you know, but it, it, I think that you and I are also experiencing a, a transformation in education where before it was more of like substitution. You can get these forms online. But then now I would argue in 10 to 15 years is what can I do with these forms online to communicate or to go further? So right. we're just in that, that rock and a hard place of transformation. Uh, yeah, since it, it the uh, you're kind of talking about a, a SAMR model for life. Yes. You've been developing a self-assessment for teachers to take yeah. revolving around their implementation and usage of the SAMR model? Yeah, well, yes. With the support of uh, MSU and the MAET program, one of my assignments is to create uh, some sort of assessment uh, for a formative assessment for teacher for the, my subject area, which is teachers. And I'm really passionate about the SAMR model just because I think it, it makes, it's a, it's the why behind the how and the what. And so I would like to eventually create, and I'm in the process of it, this formative assessment that teachers can use as a discussion point and kind of a roadmap of where I'm going to implement uh, curriculum using that SAMR model and how deep do we want to go. Uh, I actually worked on a workshop with preschool RTI specialists, reading RTI specialists, and we introduced the SAMR model, and it was interesting hearing them talk, say, okay, well, we implement this part of reading into the S. Do we, do we need to go on the A level? And it was a very huge debate about what is the proper placement for certain initiatives that they have. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. So how's, how's that been received? Um, have, you, have you been able to get feedback from teachers on on that yeah uh, no, no i have not but the um the stars director the stars supervisor she mm -hmm. mentioned that it just really helped providing a why of why are we implementing um ipads in rti and essentially what is the reasoning behind some of the apps that we're purchasing gotcha so that was kind of neat so uh you might have already mentioned it and i apologize what does uh rti stand for oh um you're putting me on. it's intervention it's an intervention it's uh rti stands for i don't actually need to know what it stands for just the the, the general sense of what it is it's an it's intervention great. um an intervention model for okay, students okay. i always say rich text which is totally not right but that's my technology side <laughs> okay so so it's an intervention model for oh response to intervention okay it's a response to intervention that's what okay. it's called. So it's an RTI framework, which means like, so if a student is in a certain tier, tier one, two, or three, what are we doing uh, in response to that intervention and how are they responding, essentially? Gotcha. It's interesting with the, with formative assessments with professionals, mm -hmm. the formative assessments with teachers. Do you, do you create a lot of those? Do you see a lot of teachers... Um, Benefiting from having those like those intentionally built in to some of their PD models, like I, I imagine this, I'm I'm fishing because I think that this can't be just an isolated thing. No, no, it definitely can, and it's interesting. Um, you know, when I do all day PDs or one hour conference sessions, you, you think, uh, especially when I do, let's go all day PDs first. Is I create a you know pre assessment, post assessment. And I think that serves a couple of purposes. One, it shows my growth and what, what they reflected on, what they learned. But I think more importantly, it shows what they feel comfortable with. 
Um, and so I think natural formative assessment in PDs is common. Uh, a lot of anywhere I go to see PD, a lot of people use those surveys. And you're wondering if you could even take that further. The our conference sessions that I do, it's more of like a conversation in in sense like, you know, hey, what did you think? How do you feel? And it's more personal. And you wonder now because this is my new position as instructional technology coach. If you start working with teacher A in August. How can you assess in a non-threatening manner for 10 months? And right. I think those are all three huge pieces of formative assessment that are very different. So th- this new position, it's, it's new in the sense of how much time is uh, shared between the different functions, right? Uh, what, what's your position title? Um, I am a instructional technology and data coach for an ESD in three school districts now. Gotcha. So what's the, what's the scope of that then? Like how, how many, uh, how many teachers fall under that umbrella? Let's see. I would argue, oh, 80 teachers, probably 1200 kids. Um, and then you've got an entire ESD staff. So yeah, 50 there, accounting school, psychologists, teacher consultants, the, the amount of people you serve is is ridiculous. And then you add in, that's a large geographic span too, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting how it works because right now um, I'm I'm a shared position between the ESD and a local and my, my place of employment. So I'm essentially like rented out for two days a week to do the okay, ESD okay. side. Um, recently, our ESD has purchased uh, NWEA and then um, the Illuminate Data Warehouse. So I've been focusing balcony view on that and how, what do we need to get in there? How does Illuminate function for the entire districts and the ESD? What can it do to meet its needs? Then the other, then the other couple of days I go back to my place of employment and I get back into the school building instructional technology coach. So it's kind of flipping your brain left you know, mm-hmm. to a balcony view versus on stage. What should I ask you first about? Should I ask you about the NWEA stuff and what the biggest opportunities and challenges are from there? Or, sh- or should we talk about um, what if, if we're going to talk about that first, then let's make sure that we come back to talking about how you're able like the digital versus face to face communication that you have to use, which with such a large span of, of folks that uh, are depending on you for support. Sure. No, that's absolutely fine. Um, no, the NWA, we, we just did our, our first initial rollout was uh, two weeks after school started. The ESD was to support in the testing process. Um, any glitches or malfunctions or anything like that. Also, my role at the building level is to kind of make sure students were tested in a logical manner to create a testing schedule. And then also the data rostering was correct. Um, however, and then as you know, first two weeks of school, you get lots of new kids. So I had to manually enter some new kids as well to make sure they're appropriate and ready for uh, the first round of testing. Uh, once the testing was done, my job was to communicate with NWEA and discuss with them how to, what reports are the best. And I was going to support districts by the gap, the gap of the testing PD from NWA to the reporting end of PD of NWA. So I met with all superintendents um, plus the data teams for each district and kind of discussed like the six most prevalent reports that would matter to teachers and showed them a couple different things that they could find useful on there in preparation of the report PD. 
So you were actually uh, keeping a teacher's eye towards what what could be potentially useful for for the teachers. And was this with NWEA folks that, that you were doing that? Or was it like after the data came yes. back and was processed and stuff, you were yep. meeting with administrators and, and things like that and trying to make this classroom applicable? Yep, right? absolutely. And, they, um, and then now the next step is to make sure the testing windows, like, and you know, I'm going off on a tangent, but I think it's important that you and I talk about it is testing atmospheres have changed. I was just discussing this with a high school principal is back when we had MEEP, you had classrooms of desks, you had silence with pencils and everybody had a book, right? So now let's yep. fast forward yep. to NWEA and MSTEP. Now you've got computer labs that may or may not work. You've got cell phones going off in pockets that were forgotten. You've got conversations of teachers, if necessary. And then you've also got some extraneous noise out in the hallway that's completely different because you're testing at different times. So, you know, I would argue that the testing atmosphere is huge. And so I'm working with my place of employment now, my local school, to develop a testing schedule that's conducive uh, and most efficient for students' needs. Um, because I think that's I think it could play a huge deviation in results. It's staggered lab use, right? I mean, it's limited limited resources causes the, uh, you know, in the MEEP days, like you said, all you needed was a room with desks, um, uh, paper and pencil materials, and silence, and you had all all buildings were equipped with enough rooms to seat students in and enough teachers to proctor the tests and you could do it all synchronously. So everyone was in testing mindset. You had quiet, relative quiet, uh, we'll put that caveat in there, relative quiet in the halls and less disturbances elsewhere because the entire student body was occupied. Now with limited resources, there's less computers to get students in front of than there are students, yes. right? Yep, right? absolutely. So you have to be, and it's no, not the end of the world no, uh, or, or anything like that. It's just a reality that you have to um, mm -hmm. have to negotiate. Um, not everyone in the physical campus is cognizant of the mindset of yeah, testers. You don't, you don't have a constant testing mindset. You have pockets of testing mindset and pockets of normal Forever. activity or actually pockets of testing mindset that occur within the body uh, of normal activity yes. surrounding it. So that that is an inherent challenge, right? Can you talk at all about the, the, the data point, like the points that you thought would be most applicable to teachers? Sure. Um, you know, initially, uh, when you first, when you first open up a class report, for um, MAP and what a class or NWA MAP is their reporting. Uh, when you open up a MAP report, you get your class breakdown. What it does is they have this thing called a RIT scale. RIT is a pretty much a yardstick with numbers. The higher the RIT, the more you know. Okay. Um, and then you have expected growth outcomes per age level. Obviously, if you're in elementary school, you grow at a higher rate. Think like a, t a 10 year old growing versus a um, 18 year old growing, you know? Okay. And so, okay. so the brain's more apt to develop in, in lower grades. However, um, what four does, it gives you 
where the person starts at learning in the fall. It gives you the percentile of where they fall under. And then it breaks down, for instance, the reading category into like informational text, fictional text, and something else that I can't think of right now, but I will. Um, and then it gives you RIT scores embedded with those to compile that holistic score. Okay. So okay. initially, when you first glance at it, you can see, oh, and it gives you your Lexile range, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And yeah. so you've got you've got these four major things. You've got your breakdown of categories, you've got your Lexile range, and then you've got the percentile. Um, then it even goes farther where it breaks them down into groups per, like it takes your eight students who really are not, not so um, strong, excuse me, strong in informational text and puts them in a group for you. So it supports differential instruction. Okay, this is where you started. Let's see where you can get to. Um, we test them three times a year. We test them in September, end of January, and then May. Okay. And then based on those scores, we kind of hope to see, okay, like in the fall, you would like to see where the, the placement is. And then in this winter, you're like, all right, are these placements worth What do we need to reevaluate here? And then um, you go right into spring testing, which is kind of like your final exam. You don't talk about it like that, but you say, okay, what, what can we show here? of growth so for example like lexile score yep. and you said you said um let's just use that as an example or sure teacher gets gets their map reports and they basically have a lexile score in september or it probably comes recently it's probably come right um they get they're basically able to identify um and and help me out with the Lexile score again. Uh, I know I know it's related to literacy, but like specifically, what does it measure? Sure. I want to say it's a it's a reading range, but it does not. Again, I'm I'm a math or I'm a history and PE background, but it's not like you can identify grammar errors, but you can comprehend text. Okay. So the Lexile okay. score basically, how do I say this? Basically, it's not affected by the NWA. It just shows you how how well that kid can read. Right. So if you've got a right. kid like you've got kid A who is just not doing so hot in your class, but he's got this Lexile score of 1200. He's reading at a senior level as a fourth grader, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you, in my mind, I would use Lexile range as like, this is where my kid is. This is what he's capable of. Let's not push the envelope of a, a 12th grade reading level. And he's at a fourth grade reading level. But what do you do with that fourth grader? who is at a 12th grade reading level, you challenge him more, give him something different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might keep his, you know, head, head in the classroom as opposed to board out the window. Yeah. And, and what a powerful thing. And that, and that's actually, thanks for totally uh, helping me to, to get to yeah. where, where my headspace was at. I'm like, to me, data, Data um, reports, because in, in, in this case, it's really boiled down. We know what the report means. We, we know reading range, um, understanding of text at this point, yep. um, which is an important uh, skill that isn't vis a visible skill um, all right. the time so that it's really valuable knowledge. But then how we interpret what that means is really important. So that example with right. that. With that kid, if he's a fourth grader reading at a twelfth grade level and right. and struggling in um, 
struggling in school with, with, you know, just the, my four walls, Mm -hmm. there's definitely, there's something going on where there's, um, that's causing that disengagement. Right. Um, and then I'm really big on teacher as investigator, um, with informed, um, uh, you know, advanced, uh, analytics, like predictive analytics a little bit, like what, what, what can we predict is going on with this student? We can say, Hey, this student is bored and needs to be challenged. Um, could that be a possible thing? Yes. But we have to test that to see like, like it's, that's also a gross statement. Like what is causing the boredom? Um, what's, uh, well, is this child actually bored first off? If that's our, our hypothesis, we have to find out if that child is actually yeah. bored or if it's something else. Because if it's yeah. something else besides reading comprehension, um, then then we, we have to discover that first. It's dangerous if we go about treating for boredom and get really far down committed on that path. And um, that ends up not being the case, right? Um, right. Data can tell us something, but we have to understand what the scope of that something is. Um, exactly. um, and then once we get into, let's say we do diagnose it and we find out that this student is just bored. This, uh, the stuff that, that he's doing is beneath him. Um, and, and we need to up the cognitive rigor, um, a little Absolutely. bit, something that's going to be more engaging because it's, a problem we're solving for, for this child. Right. Um, yep. then it really gets into, okay, what can we do that is, um, standard aligned, um, that's going to allow this student to demonstrate his learning. Um, in this case, you made it, yep. a, you made it a gentleman. So we'll, we'll stick with yeah, his. Sorry. Uh, no, it's good. Um, so what's gonna, um, what, what, what's going to be appropriate that also right. um, is going to measure outcomes, right? And then I imagine you use you use the January uh, uh, testing really as a formative assessment for everybody, like a formative of like, Absolutely. what have we done in the first semester? Yes. You know, and that's interesting because like you correlate this with report cards. Uh, we are semester-based, so we've got two major grades, but we send out reports every 10 weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So is 10 weeks when all of a sudden you see that D in your of 30 of 36 and you're like, whoa, what is, what's going on here? Um, to me, that's too late. These map reports are available 24 hours after the kids have taken them. So it's impactful two weeks into the year. Oh, wow. As a starting point, you know, I gotcha. So, so much better than those MEEP, uh, MEEP tests that like were largely forgotten about and really were for um, state level organizations to to decide who was doing well. <laughs> Considering and we wasn't. haven't gotten the results yet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. December, I think, is when they're coming. So that's a little too late to fix some things that are needed. And so you're saying there's a bevy of other um, indicators in there that uh, – then are you know data informed by how the student did that day um some yep. something that is i mean i guess it's a i hate that students test more than than they ever have um yeah oh yeah but yeah. but what? something something i've been reading about lately i was actually reading this um 
this article by uh, by Willingham. I'll get the title for you if I please. I'm writing it down right. Now. Okay, let me get the let me get let me get the title. <laughs> okay, I'm in the drive folder. We're doing this course redesign. Um, it, oh, and really? So we're redesigning our first MyBlend PD course, and the original course was a lot of. Um, it was a lot of online uh, teaching and learning standards and um, technology as an environment, like really heavily technology focused. And so a big thing that I've been focused on with me and my team is trying to transition it to the problem is that all students learn differently. Um, So if we're doing a problem-based learning thing, our course is going to be designed around this fact. Um, So I'm looking for cognitive psychology things that because they're going to be research-based that kind of set that tone. Um, so the article that I settled on, um, because I think that Daniel Willingham is a really uh, like a, a rare researcher that is also a really practical writer um, as far as classroom yes. practice goes. So this is a, uh, this is a paper called Ask the Cognitive Scientist, What is Developmentally appropriate practice. And then I am also going to just hit you with the link to the PDF in our little text chat that we got going on. Um, But anyway, uh, that we know, we know that students learn differently and we, we sense, we sense that like practically in our, in our practice a lot. The one thing that connects to our conversation um, is that William Williamham says that there's four kinds of variability in student learning. The, the first two are very prominent, and we generally accept it um, not only in theory but in practice, that students vary the student variability of their cognitive abilities, that variability is very, great yes. between age levels. Absolutely. We, know that, we know that there's a, a great degree of cognitive variability between an eight-year-old and an 18-year-old. Yes. Um, we also generally um, agree in theory and in practice that there's variability amongst students of the same age. Yes. One eight-year-old is going to vary in cognitive ability from another eight-year-old. The other things that we um, that that there's consideration for that we don't always think about is that students vary in cognitive ability from task to task around the same concept. So sometimes one task is um, uh, is there's going to be a lot of struggle for that student. And um, there's going to it's going to appear as learning gaps. Right. Um, and it could be contributed to um, whatever task is around that, whether it's an example or, you know, some sort of activity that um, that they're engaging with. And it, really, it's going to be a combination of the, uh, the things that come in there. Right. No, for I, some, for some reason, there's a disconnect where some other activity that went around it um, would resonate with them a little bit mm-hmm. more. But the last one and the thing that most relates to testing is students vary in cognitive ability from day to day. 
minute to minute. Very much so. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And so like when you have a test and you're using that to base your a, a semester worth of um, interactions with the student with, it's not a large enough data set. I mean, the variability of tasks might be um, might be present, right? Because you're having a, a ton of different questions that you're asking them, but a student on any one of those items could perform drastically different if you had them take it five five days in a row. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, and and repeat, you know, the same kind of activity over and over. So, I mean, my my point is like. Data, data and analytics and stuff like that is is extremely valuable to teachers because it gives us a perspective of how that student's right. doing, where that student's at. But they're only they're only the initial um, they're the magnifier to the vicinity of where the problem is. They don't necessarily uncover the problem themselves, right. and and that's why I think. Um, the role of the teacher is so valuable and it is it, it it is shifting. But the role of the teacher in being the one that won't leave any stone unturned yep. and focusing in on these. OK, well, this is what this data says. Now we've got to we've got to ask the right questions with with the student and with my colleagues and rely on my experience to really dig down and go to work and try to try to address yep. it. The thing that data allows us to do, especially when we equip it with digital environments that funnel the task results to us, it's a smaller window to search within. If we're just like, man, Tommy is struggling. That's too large of a frame for us to personalize Tommy's learning at capacity to personalize everyone else's learning too. No, absolutely. There's no doubt in what you're saying. And it's like, um, you know, think about this. You, um, I personally chose to take math if I could every day, first hour, because I'm a morning person, right? So yeah. let's, say, let's say you need to take it six hour because that's when you best are awake. How do you, how do you adapt to that? And what's the best way? Because especially with M-Step, what's the best way to, to test? And so again, thinking about the different qualities, even on day to day, minute to minute, especially emotions. Yeah. Like a student, yeah, student yeah. breaks up with his, his significant other or her significant other, or, you know, there's something going on at home or they didn't get to eat or they pulled an all nighter. Those can all be test variabilities that could affect your data. Yeah. And so, well, it, we, and we've got to keep that in mind, right? It's not, it's right. not, it's totally not saying that the data generated from, from these tests right. is not valuable. Um, that would be irresponsible for us to, to make a, a, a statement like that. Um, and, and, and even, even more than irresponsible, we'd be losing out on an opportunity to understand our students learning a little bit better, but we've always got to temper it with the, with with the fact that the human mind is so amazingly, beautifully uh, complex in in the way that yeah. that we learn things. Oh, absolutely! Um, it's great to try to find generalities and find ways for for us to. Um, it, he Willingham in that piece focuses a lot on Piaget as kind of the example 
that he sets up to to make his his arguments later on. And basically, you know, with the cognitive stages of development and the argument that everyone progresses in in this nice linear pattern and there is a, a person of a certain age is going to demonstrate certain traits and that you're cognitively incapable of exhibiting certain traits that are meant for someone that's older. Right. Um, um, because they like it's lockstep fixed. And the the bottom line is like when you read a, a um, you know, a Lexi score that says that a student is chronologically fourth grade, but um, understanding text 12th grade. We know that these are these these aren't just these aren't anomalies. These are just like trying to map a human brain's capacity to learn to this uh, educational structure that's based upon how old you are. Right. And, you know, and yep. we work within the system that we work within. Um, we're not trying to change things overnight. We pick our battles. The battle isn't to let all students just like completely, completely let go of of age, uh, age related grade pro progression and go to a completely competency model. I mean, down the road, maybe that's something that that you're able to get to. Right. But the bottom line that we focus on is like this is a reality that it's more complex than than we always give it credit for. So we always have to temper this this lockstep uh, development progression mm -hmm. with the unicorn phenomenon, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, there, are, we see unicorns every single day. Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because it's like, okay, so you've got 55 minutes with this kid. Um, and it all, it all boils down to, in my mind is to work smarter, not harder. And that's where technology and data come in. You that 20 years, you can collect this data and it just sits there. But the affordance of having a screener, and it doesn't matter who it is or what it does, but giving that data and actually doing something with data, that's what your eye to your eye feel is such an intricate part of this whole, whole curriculum process. Like the curriculum's there. The students are there. The teacher is the big part of what molds that into a meaningful piece that we can take back and have student learning happen, right? And so yeah. you just, I think... I think that using this data applicable way and use it to, to, to sort the students or give them personal learning objectives, which the state of Michigan is going to anyway with SLOs, um, yeah. is, is something that we need to challenge teachers to do and say, okay, so you've got eight of these kids who are struggling with informational tech, but you have 50 minutes today to figure it out. How can you do that? How, how do we begin to like, that's a great first question, right? Because you know that the response is going to be this. Uh... <laughs> yep. What do you and 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 you know my you know me like okay so a brain that can figure out to to take an orange and put it in a water carafe is going to work or not harder harder. And so common common thing is is you can't fit that orange in that water carafe. There's no possible way, but you cut it up. You mash it, you reform it. And so yeah. what can you do in that 50 minutes to reform, cut up, and engage this, this, what we call this 21st century learner, which has been around for 15 years, um, <laughs> you know, engage this kid who has a two minute attention span uh, and make them learn and sit and, and, and focus for more than 10. 
Um, and I think that's where education's at a transition period. There's more, more sit and get, there's no more. And we, we, you and I both are in common understanding of that, but how do you take that class and reform it? And that's where I think education's asking us to go, not only, not only as a learner, a, a leader, an educational leader, but I think as a government. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't leave a kid behind just because he can't figure out addition. You've got to help him and make, 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 you've got to help him learn. And that's where it's the most challenging part because there's almost seems like never enough hours in the day, especially when class sizes are 30, you know? So, you know, in my own coaching, and I'm, I'm sure it's similar with, with your coaching, we always have the, the conversation of what are you trying to have students learn? We tend to get down the rabbit hole and like, uh, I know that when I was a teacher, I, I was, I was obsessed with making lessons that personally, um, were cool to me and I thought were engaging and would be, would be engaging with some, right? Like uh, using yourself as a benchmark isn't necessarily a, a a bad thing. It's where create creativity stems from. Right. And we'd like to have creative teachers, but like, you know, the, where I've, um, you know, in, in the, in the past, I, I ate up copious amounts of time, um, mapping out the perfect lesson. Right. And what I've, what I've learned is like, when you think in that UDL mindset of what's the, what's the outcome, you can be, you can create environments that not only are, are less time consuming to build, but they're also, um, they're more focused and they're more personalized because you allow for flexibility in demonstrating um, mastery of a concept. Um, and then more time, if I'm, if I'm not spending a ton of time about what I'm going to teach, but more about the problem that as a group we're going to be trying to solve, um, then it naturally slots me as that, that coach that can can check in you know i start thinking about okay i'm going to check in with um five of my students every single day regardless of their um their progression through through the content um i'm sure. going to set up that's a great um, idea i'm going to set up yeah yeah i'm going to set up a mastery um a, a mastery checkpoint where uh students are going to have automated feedback on on how they're doing but i'm also going to be able to see the residue of of how they're doing when they reach certain points. Um, I'm going to have ways of um, being alerted when students are struggling at certain points. Like I'm going to collect as much, um, I'm going to think of learning as a big, huge formative assessment. And everything that I'm having them interact with, I'm going to have them think with and demonstrate their learning in in some way. Um, metacognitive reflections are huge in understanding sure. if you can, if you can institute that, um, early and have students demonstrate, you know, share with you their thinking behind stuff. That's a valuable skill, not only for them in self-reflection, like understanding what they know and what they don't know, but for you to be able to have a conversation with them. Yep. Um, so like these, these things are things that when we're presented this, uh, Oh, when we're, we're presented this data set that we have to work with, because very much uh, it, as much as 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 useful as 
NWEA data can be. Sure. Um, and everything has, has its flaws. Its flaws. Yes. Um, we are, there's a difference between information that we design to collect ourselves because we know that it would be valuable to our, our own relationships with our students and um, something that was designed by someone else to collect information. Right. Um, even if it's good, I think I, I'll speak for me personally because yeah. I want I don't want to speak for educators at a, as a whole. But sometimes, sometimes I need to um, spend a little bit more time with stuff and get a little bit more support on figuring out how this this data that was collected by someone else at someone else's uh, uh, insistence sure. is going to be used by me. Um, so I think it always has to fit into those conversations about like, no, you can use this as another indicator, kind of like what you're already doing with all these other things. And if you're not all already doing these other things, let's start with that because, because maybe the, maybe other, the stuff other stuff won't, won't help you out as much. Or maybe it will. Maybe, um, like I said, like I said I'm, speaking I'm speaking for myself as an educator, but all of these, all of these things, things have to come together. together to accomplish, to accomplish one goal, goal. And, that's and that's understanding, understanding better about how students are doing and inform our decision making on trying to fill those gaps so that they can keep progressing on and meeting meeting mastery on on concepts that they need to master. Yep. No, definitely. Absolutely. And it's uh you know, it's interesting that you say how how it, this is filling gaps and it, I think it's going to take some time to to one and said and said at the dad and be like wow my kids did really bad you know yeah and transition to okay this is what i have what can i do to support right and that's going to be a huge you know and finally effectively using data and I, i'm only speaking from personal experience but i assume it's 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 not uncommon to look at the numbers numbers and it is not 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 very good at reading yeah you know, so now because of because of the student learning and because because of the high stakes testing, because of these evaluation systems that teachers have to go through, game's changing. Do you think that we that uh, and I know you got to go soon, and this might be a question that that we just sure. have to flesh out more later. But do you think we'll ever what? Not will we ever? Because we should speak in terms of we can do anything. What what would be needed for teachers to think in the just moving? that that nuclear level moving that student ahead like this is what this is what they don't know so this is what i have to try to support them on so i'm going to try to fill as many gaps as i can during the time i have it versus the like this is um a uh condemnation of me as an educator um I think a couple factors that just instantly popped to my head is the first one is we have to look at three different levels of students. You've got the students as a group, students as uh, or students as a whole, students as a group, and as individual student. I think we have to have the mindset that all students have the ability to learn. And finally, I think that we also have to understand that learning doesn't, learning doesn't, learning doesn't happen in one year. Learning happens over the course of a lifetime. And there are some factors that we cannot change. Like for instance, the K through five, or I'm sorry, the uh, zero through five age factor. That's, yeah. that's huge, you know, because again, um, speaking specifically for my personal family is my husband's a high school principal and I'm an instructional technology and data coach. And then my daughter's grandmother is an early childhood specialist for developmental kindergarten. That kid has no shot of not learning, like of not being drilled and killed or of not being like, this is the writing center that you need to look at. 
And so I think it comes down as one is community information. We have to get out to the community and talk about what are some things that we can do to cognitively help those students. And then yeah. I, and I also think that, again, we can't point fingers at other grade level teachers. This is, this is, a, this is a school wide. And what can we do to fix that and to kind of generate overall around support for that kid? So I think there's, you know, I think we should be active in the community. I, I think that we should, you know, work together for a common a common point. And I think that we, we need to realize that no matter what level they're at, there's room for growth. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, we'll talk more about this later. Yeah, sure. Uh, you need to go pick up your, your daughter. Sure. If I'm if I'm in Northeast Michigan at all, I'll just shout out your name, and you'll probably be um, anywhere in that vicinity. Um, uh, yes, I, absolutely. I I, I want to thank you um, for the great work you're doing. Um, your 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 excitement for what you're doing just just billows out in the conversation. It's always fun to talk with you. Um, thank you. So, it's so intense, and I it, like it. I I think that that's the your intensity is your passion, just like trying to uh, go as fast as it can sure. uh, through this through this narrow sure. communication time that we have. Um, and thanks for the great work you do. Um, uh, thanks for serving so many teachers and doing such great work with them. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I look forward to maybe doing this again. I hope someday. It, yeah, it, that would be cool, wouldn't it? It pretty much was like fulfilling and I feel like I'm ready to like go out and go run 15 miles and just be like, yeah, education's <laughs> really, <laughs> I really um, appreciate it. And if you, um, if, if we're ever in the Lansing area, I will be down there May 6th and January 23rd. Uh, so okay. it would be really great to catch up and grab some to eat or something. Yeah. When you come down, um, just, uh, just shoot me a message and we'll figure it out. All right, cool. All right. Have a good one, Ashley. Yeah. See you, Jeff. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to My Blend Stories. For more, visit myblend.org.